What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of What's Your Issue, the People's Weekly Comic Book Reviews Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Agastically Stamus, and here with me, as always, is the stalwart, Stephen Laura. How are you doing, Stephen? Doing great. Good. So we are recording uh, with a bit of a delay this week due to the uh, Christmas holiday. Um, and if you haven't joined the show before, and for some reason you're joining here at the end of the year, what we do for about an hour or a little bit more every week is we normally run down about six of the comics from our polls from the preceding week. So tonight we're going over the comics that shipped the shipping date of 19 uh, December 2018. So we go over six of those in pretty deep detail. This is a spoilery review show. We don't hold back. We're not going to you know, lay off of going into certain things in the issue. Every once in a while, if something is very particular about resetting a new status quo, um, we might lay off of that. But very frequently, we have to get into that in order to effectively talk about the book. So if you haven't read your comics for some reason, go back and do that and then come back and listen to the show. Now, most of you are probably already digging into the cornucopia of, I think, a total of like four comics that shipped this week since today is new comic book day. So you probably have plenty of time to still reminisce about the comics that shipped last week uh so we're gonna we're gonna go over we're going to go over six of those we will then declare the best thing that each of us read last week cover our honorable mentions and then again in a really lengthy segment this week we will talk about the three comic books that will be in our poll list for this week that we will go over actually uh the next show we're gonna skip a week because this is such a light shipping week um and the next show uh, that we record will be on the 7th of January. So that is pretty much the format. With that, we are going to go ahead and get into it. The first book in the reviews rundown is one that I am reviewing this week. Uh, and it is cover number four um, from the uh, the weird Bendis imprint label over at DC. Uh, Jinx World. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just having a bit of a time pulling up. So I read the preceding issue to this, and so this issue uh, opens up. Creative team on this is uh, Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack. Um, they doing this thing where, because it's a comic book about comic book creators, um, they have additional creators come in to um, do the work of the comic book creators who are actually characters in the story. So... Uh, this week, the guest additional creator is uh, Michael Avon Emming. Um, letters by Carlos Manuel and colors by Zoo or Zoo. Uh, so this week uh, continues from where we left off last issue with uh, uh, Isad Sins, who is supposed to be Isad Ribic uh, in in in, rea- in real life. Uh, uh, continuing with the torture and interrogation scene uh, between Esad and uh, and the main character Max, um, so th- I I had a bit of a problem with the only problem, the one knock on this issue that I had was this opening sequence is fairly brutal, <clears throat> and it's brutal to a point that it kind of transcends that disbelief that you know or trans- transcends that suspension of disbelief. Uh, that you have uh, in the comic. So it was so brutal that I was like, this guy is an, is an untrained 
you know, intelligence operative thrown into this situation. The only thing that he is um, of, of note that he has a talent that he brings along with him is that he's a frequent international traveler. I'm going to these uh, conventions. So if you didn't know the setup for this book, the setup for this book is that uh, Max Field, who is a comic book creator, um, is approached by the CIA and asked to become an operative because, because his cover of being a comic book creator with all the conventions that he goes to is an effective way for him to, to move around and remain covert. Uh, so the previous issue, he and Isad Sins had had a deep conversation about the makeup of their characters. Um, and it continues uh, in this book with Isad uh, trying to smack something out of him. Now, um, there's a bit of a jump here then where, uh, where he is rescued. It's not really clear to me. I think, Isad just leaves him where he is, and then he is rescued uh, by the other operatives. Uh, through this book, we have some apparent feelings being developed between Max and his handler. Uh, I think her name is Juanita, um, who's actually modeled a, a who's actually uh, modeled on a I think a, a model in real life. I forget the uh, actress's name or the model's name. Um, then we flash back out to the convention floor, where the next day. Max and Isad just are just supposed to go about their business as if one of them hasn't just brutally tortured the other. Uh, and then in the next jump, we get Max going back to what I assume is New York and uh, crashing at a friend of his his pad. Um, the both of them are working on doodling uh, uh, future chapters of books. Um, and, uh, and Max's friend is actually working on something that he believes is going to be a hit comic. Um, there are there's lots of uh, dancing around the topic at hand because Max's friend can tell that something has happened to him and Max just plays it off as, you know, you know, I'm just, I'm just jet lagged. Uh, so, so I thought this was a really good comic. Um, and one of the things that it does well with the art is uh, I've, I've, I've kind of become a little weary of the uh, trend that there is going on out in comic book art to, um, use these kind of singular color palettes and not have a lot of, of different shades uh, in in colors. Um, there was a time where you would, you know, you would do a few panels in black and white or you would do a whole issue in black and white and it was something special. I just feel like it's kind of becoming tropish and being overused in the industry. Um, but I really like how David Mack goes back and forth between all these different styles. Uh, this is... Um, did I say that this was a, was looking like an Eisner winning series uh, a few weeks ago? I thought maybe this was I the book. I, I think know, so. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but what's really good about this, if you think about the things that earn um, actors and actresses Emmys, one of the things that 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 earns them uh, at least a nod or a nomination for that is when uh, they are in a show or in a movie where they play several different characters. Um, because the challenge on them is greater because they have to keep going back and forth um, between uh, between these multiple personalities. David Mack is having to do that a lot here. He he goes through different styles. Um, he has this uh, this faux blue um, or noir blue almost uh, color palette that he uses in the opening of the book. Then whenever Max is one was is with Juanita, um, he he has this kind of. Uh, splotchy but very spring-like uh, color palette in the background. 
Um, in between that, he has kind of dream sequences where when Max falls asleep, and so that looks different. Um, and then he has the sequences where when Max is um, is kind of out in, in the public, w- which is a different style. So it's really interesting how he's going back and forth between all those different styles and putting a lot of different artistic approaches on display in the course of a single comic. Um, again, this story, like the setup to this story is so great. It practically writes itself. Um, I'm sure Ben is supposed to be having a ball writing it. Uh, so at the end of the day, I gave this issue an 8.0 uh, out of a 10.0 scale. Um, Steven, did you read this issue? We may have lost Steven. So I'm pretty sure Steven has been reading these because he was the one who turned me on to them uh, initially. Uh, so uh, hopefully he will make it back to talk about them as well. So I'm going to continue on um, talking about it now. I've got to be kind of like an octopus because I still have to get the social media out, but perhaps almost more importantly, what I need to do is I need to check in on the live stream to see if anybody has joined in on the uh, chat. So, uh, so we'll have that available shortly. Uh, the next book in the rundown uh, I will also cover is uh, Betty and Veronica number one um, by Archie comics. Uh, and again, this, this is another week where, uh, unfortunately I have also been, uh, upgrading a PC, uh, this week. So I'm a little discombobulated and not as well prepared, uh, with my notes. Um, so, uh, so this is, uh, Betty and Veronica number one, which details, um, their relationship in their senior year. Um, you start the comic off with them going over the exit side of their summer, um, and a lot of promises and packs that they're making about how the year is going to go. And then you see them in the first few days of their senior year. Uh, the creative team on this story is by J.B. Lee Rotante, uh, art by Sandra Lanz. Um, and I guess that means uh, penciling and inking. Uh, letters by Jack Morelli and colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick. Um, so the, the art in this book is, <laughs> this is, it sometimes gets a little hard to discuss are, and particularly when it comes time to compare um, an Archie comic against others, there's a deliberate n- kind of nostalgia motif to it. Uh, and so you're never, you know, unless, except when they're doing kind of the weird Archie uh, offshoots, things that are like not kind of tr- classic traditional Archie um, in general, you're not going to get like a Jim Lee or a, um, or, uh, or a Jim Chung or, you know, any of these like or Francis Manipal or any of these like really highly detailed or even hyper stylized artists on Archie, um, it's it's deliberately done to kind of look like a general middle class America comic book, so to speak. Um, that being said, uh, you, you know, um, there are some neat approaches on uh, on colors here by Fitzpatrick. Um, she does do a good job of. Uh, you know, juxtaposing as many colors as, as she can. Uh, uh, Veronica has the deep purple. Uh, Betty, in a couple scenes, has bright reds. Um, so there's there's plenty of red between all of the redhead redheads, orange colored hair kids, um, pink shirts, and things of that nature uh, scattered throughout the comic. So that gives it a kind of bright eye poppy 
look almost kind of like the Sims is what it makes me look feel like sometimes. Um, you know, there are. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the the art is fine. Again, it's just it's it's never going to be in a style that really causes it to leap out at me in particular as something spectacular. Uh, but again, you know, the main the main the main uh, role of art in a comic in my mind is to not distract the reader and screw up the story. Uh, storytelling, I will say, is perfectly fine uh, throughout the comic. Uh, so the story in this, as I mentioned, is we open up with a scene with Betty and Veronica making promises back and forth to each other and kind of kind of psycho-evaluating each other as to, you know, why they are, how they are, and, um, you know, how they felt about their years ending uh Strangely enough, uh, Betty, for some reason, was dating Reggie, um, I, at least at the beginning of the summer, and then the two of them broke up. Uh, there is a scene later in the comic where Reggie appears to convey that um, the reason he broke up with Betty was because um, he knew that she should be with Archie. Um, so there's that. So uh, it's kind of weird, uh, the, the the story arc that this traverses, because some of the pages are about them kind of just getting back together and seeing friends that they were out of touch with over the summer. Um, but a lot of it is also kind of this telegraphing of how, uh, how well Ronnie and Betty are going to actually stick to the promises that they made each other about how the senior year was supposed to go. Um, it's, a little interesting and I'm kind of interested to see where the story goes. Um, again, I, I hope that, uh, that what gets brought out is something, you know, special and unique from a, from a woman's perspective that I wouldn't have considered. I think Jamie Lee Rutante is uh, is a woman. Um, so, uh, Hey Steven, how you doing? I'm good. It's good. Looks like a crash. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Steven's going to be joining us from his phone, and that is okay. Yeah. I I have got on to uh, Betty and Veronica number one, so actually I'm I'm heading towards wrapping that up now. Um, but uh, one of the things that I'm worried about about where it feels a little pedestrian is uh, so so these two uh, young women, you know, we we open up with the camera on them talking about how they're going to stick together um, and and how it's going to be a very, uh, you know, female first kind of agenda, so to speak. And then seemingly part of the story is like the moment that the two of them are away from each other, it, it all becomes about boys again. Um, you know, Betty gets separated from Veronica at a party near the end of the story um, has too much. Well, she has something to drink, which for her, any amount to drink is too much. Um, and, and rather than seek out Veronica, who's at the party that Betty is at, because they came together, her instinct is to call for Archie. Um, so Archie comes and picks her up. Uh, as Archie drops her off, she moves in for the kiss, but Archie kind of turns his head away. Um, good on you there, Archie. Uh, Veronica um, winds up driving home with Reggie. So and the two of them kind of had a heartfelt talk about what was the deal behind the breakup between uh, he and and Betty. So uh, again, there, there's things that be, because an Archie comic is what it is, um, feel kind of pedestrian and mundane. Um, but, you know, it's, it's up to the writers on these books. You know, if you talk about like, you know, Mark Wade's what, you know, what will now go down uh, in history, I think as a, as a seminal classic run writing Archie, um, then it's up to the writer to do something that breaks, you know, their time on Archie out 
So I'm 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 suspecting that the that that the curveball or twist that this road is going to throw at us um, is something different than we're kind of being painted on the surface. Um, and so we'll just have to uh, see what the next issue from uh, from Jimmy Lee Rotante brings. Uh, Stephen, I'm assuming you did not read Betty and Veronica number one. No, I think it's recovering. I, I think it's right. Oh yeah, you would. Yes, we can, we can go back and talk about talk about uh, your your opinions on cover really quick before we uh, go oh, on. To okay, talk about I, go ahead. I give it an eight point oh. Um, it was it was okay to me. It was it wasn't the issue was kind of, I guess not as strong as the last one, but it was I still enjoyed it. Yeah, it was pretty interesting to see Bendis in the issue. I was expecting that, but he inserted himself in there. Yeah, so so I am not familiar with him. Uh, which one is he? Is he the guy who's uh, who Max whose couch Max crashes yeah. on? Yeah, that is him. Cause okay, that's the same face. Like I can tell it's him. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I kind of felt the same way. Uh, just to go back to Betty and Veronica number one. So that book, I rated a seven point oh out of ten, which is a solid score for me for a single issue uh, comic. Um, but yeah, our, back, back on cover. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where I landed. Like I I preferred issue number three, felt like a slightly stronger. But you had they went to different places it, scene wise. Um, they went to more yeah. places in, uh, in issue number three. This was kind of a slightly quieter issue, um, and again the brutality of the opening scene just it's a, it's a, it's a it's a risky creative choice, right? And in some ways it can work really well, and in some ways. Um, to, to me, it, it it fell kind of flat because as he was taking all that punishment, I was like, I just don't like like first of all, like a like a, a person taking that kind of punishment wouldn't be awake to talk about it. So, uh, so that oh. was a little off putting. I, I didn't even think about uh, that. I just I just saw them being him beating him up. He did not he did not come out. I I think. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just yes. After like eighteen panels, right? <laughs> it's like it's eighteen panels. Yeah, of like and it's snack. like what the time the girl picks him up. Like, did the girl see him get beat up? No, she I, I, she just saw him in the aftermath. I, so yeah, it was just a little. It, it was the equivalent of like a an eighties like shock. Scene. It's like it's like a scene out of Reservoir Dogs. Is kind of what it made me feel like, and I just felt it was a little. I, I felt it was a little over the top. Um, so, but like I said, that's that's just a creative choice. Uh, but now we both read Spider Geddon number five. So why don't you go ahead and start talking us through that, and then I'll jump in and give you my thoughts on it as well. I'm gonna try to switch off my computer here because I already finished loading. I think I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah. Hello? Yep, yep, we got you. Go ahead. Yeah, it started like making weird sounds. I'll just stay on the phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
the Spider Getting number five is it was um it's uh written by Crystal's Gage. Um the artist is um Carlo Barberi and the colorist is David um Cuera. And that's I think, and the inker is Joy Vasquez and Jay Lestian. Um, well, there's a couple of artists. I know George Molina is also another artist in the book. Yeah, there's like uh, there's like five artists on the on the book: Molina, Barberi, uh, Caselli, and Vasquez. Are four? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Four, uh, four, four, four pencilers, four inkers, and one colorist <laughs> to hold it all together. <laughs> Jesus, a lot of you worked on this book. Um, yeah, uh, this book was just um, talking about how um, with uh, Sparta, um, this was Sparta getting. It starts off with um, I think you uh, forgot. I think it was just. It was kind of a weird start off. You see, uh, Miles is, is uh, he's all of a sudden the Captain Universe Spider Man with no explanation how he got that thing. And oh, no, they that, that happened last issue. So they were they were seeking it out, and he actually, uh, they they so Solus had destroyed, um, the Enigma Force, uh, on another, uh, Earth, um, when a Spider Man had possessed it. Miles went seeking out the one from the 616 universe and then actually summoned it. Uh, and it showed up at the end of last issue. Yeah. So they are fighting the inheritors. And I noticed that uh, Dr. Octopus gives up. Um, he gives up um, Ben Riley, the, the clone of Ben Riley, the, the one that was a jackal, um, he gives him up and they steal his life force. They, they kill him off. And and um, Dr. Octopus clones him again. Like he puts the original Ben Riley from the machine. Like he's a, he's, a, he's um, his own original self again. And I know they were fighting the inheritors over and over again. And they they were too strong and they couldn't defeat them. and. They were struggling and the spider girls come in, they come from the portal and they have these uh, armor suits from the scrolls that they use. And all of um, excuse me, eventually you see spider Gwen and her, and you see Peter Parker and a whole bunch of other spider characters that they saved from, from spider force. There's, and he he was able to save those characters that were in that issue, and they all fight the the inheritors, and uh, they end up coming up. Dot um, Dot wants to kill him, but he ends up coming with a plan with Peter Parker that he uh, he ends up turning put some um, puts them in a machine like some incubator, and they turn into babies. They get mind wiped. And 
they they end up giving the inheritor babies to Spider-Man, and that was the end of the issue. Yeah. So, what did you uh, what did you score the book overall, Stephen? I gave it a five. I did not like it. Okay. Five wow. Yeah. It was. I just. To me, it just seems kind of weird. I mean, I didn't like the whole idea of let's turn them to babies and mind wipe them because they decided to make um, Spider Man take care of six babies. It's like this kind of a handful. Well, it was it was it was it was Aunt, it was Aunt May from another Earth that uh, yeah. that's taking that's taking the kids, and she I and I, I, and I guess she's she's from an Earth where her Ben and Peter are all alive and still live together. So yeah, I saw that. So yeah, so the 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 the, the shtick was that the, the three of them were going to be able to raise the the six kids or whatever. So I actually, so that's uh, surprising, I, I guess, because um, I actually, th- this is a series that I would not have normally read. Um, I, I jumped on it because you were reading it, um, and uh, I'm not really enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was kind of surprised. Uh, it, 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 over the course of the three issues, or I guess I read the last. I didn't read the whole thing. I guess I read two through five. Um, uh-huh. Over the course. Oh no! Maybe I did. Maybe I did read the whole thing. Um, maybe I caught issue number one uh, before I passed it by. Uh, but you know, over the course of the six issues, yeah, because I think I said one wasn't that strong, or, or maybe it was two. Um, over the course of the six issues or five issues or whatever, they they pulled together what what they needed to pull together. They uh, they I love Miles Morales, and they highlighted him. Um, you get Miles Morales uh, with the Enigma Force, which I thought was was pretty awesome. Um, you get not a lot of spider ham, which was, uh, my big concern after reading issue number two was my fear that we were going to get a lot of that character. And I don't particularly care for that character. Um, you got to see lots of different variants of, of, of the spider people. And, and again, even in this issue, you do, you, you, they do a ton of fan service, right? You know, Christos Gage, because mm-hmm. what they do is when, when, when it looks like the, the heroes, you know, the forces of, Otto Octavius and Miles Morales are still, you know, in, in, in for a lot of despair, right? They, they Miles becomes Captain Universe. And then like the, like the scary thing and it, it, it almost didn't work. It almost became annoying, right? Like every time there was, you know, if you think of it in terms of uh, what's the movie, um, Gosh, I can see it in my head now, and I can't, and I can't think of it. Uh, we just watched it a few months ago on the uh, with the It's Another Thing movies crew. Uh, that um, I wanted to say Toe for Grace, but not Toe for Grace. But uh, God, I can't remember. It's it's a it's anyway. It's 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 a, it's a it's a movie that leans very heavily on video game pop culture and to the point where you see like the character, like you see like the little level up graphics happen to the character um, as they proceed on through the movie. Um, but, uh, and so it's kind of like that. And so we get, you know, miles comes in and he's captain universe and that's like level up. And then uh, the spider girls come in uh, and Annie Mae Parker, um, 
you know, we turn turns out that we find out that she's a pattern maker, and so she's able to yeah. like, pop these uh, the Spider Girls into this like power armor out of nowhere, you know, level up, and like, and, but and after each of those, there, some other Spider character goes, "It's not enough," right? And they they do it again, you know, I after the Spider Girls, <laughs> and they say it's not enough, like, and I'm like, Harry is a way too strong to 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 the for them for any of them to defeat. Right, and I'm like, okay, well, at, at some point, this just becomes an Avengers level problem, right? I'm like, so, so, so that it started to get a little weary. However, um, but but it still gave you those hero moments, right? When when somebody comes kind of charging in, um, but then I, then I was going to say, right, one of the big moments is then you get uh, Ghost Spider, or, you know, I guess which is what we're going to start calling Spider Gwen from now on. Um, you know, popping through the dimensional rift and bringing yet another cavalcade of like 20 something more additional variants of Spider-Man. And you get Spider-Man in the black and white suit. Um, So, you know, you get, you get, you get Spider-Man in the big Voltron armor. Uh, You get, you, you know, first you get Miles Morales with the Captain universe. Then you get Miles Morales combining the Enigma force with his Venom sting, which was super badass. Then you end it with, you know, uh, Miles Morales as Captain Universe pulling out the Voltron sword, and I'm like, wow, you know, it's just kind of this crazy, very comic booky stuff. But I, I actually liked it um, in the end, uh, and I, I just I felt like it pulled together what they needed to pull together. And, and you know, it kind of had some neat moments where Spider Man was like, you know, you see this reconciliation between Spider Man and Otto Octavius. Um, I think this is a great walk in. It makes me very excited to read uh, Superior Spider Man, uh, which which actually is one of the important books that actually came out this week and actually um in a in a in a rare instance of almost crackerjack editorial timing um really is perfectly timed in its release because you you walk out of spider get and you walk into this week where nothing else of any significance is being released and then you drop superior spider-man which is really an excellent time uh for it to be dropped so i don't know so uh so you read it under 5.0 but but i actually liked it so that's interesting yeah, and I I just don't. Um, Captain Universe is also struggling with with the inheritors. I didn't get that. I just thought that he was powerful enough to even take them down. Okay, so talk to me about Extermination Number Five because I know nothing about this comic. Oh, it was. It's um. It's from the original. It's a rich. It's about the original X Men going back to the original timeline. It's um, it's uh, is the writers at at Bryson, um, the artist is is Pepe Larzer, Roz, and um, yeah, it's that's pretty much it. They, they, and the colorist is um Mark Mark Garcia, um. So yeah, this 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 book is um they have the you end up finding out that Cyclops isn't dead. I kind of knew that was gonna happen. I knew it was gonna be a cop out because they they end up teasing the last issue with uh Cyclops getting stabbed by Ahava and people just automatically assume that Cyclops is dead. I didn't fall for it. I knew it was a trick. And you find out it was um it wasn't Cyclops that got stabbed. It was actually Mimic that got stabbed. 
he was just he just disguised himself as Cyclops. That's what he did. He took and um so Mimic ends up getting killed and they find out Cyclops is still alive and they decide to fight um Ahava and um Ahava is like having these two child mutants that can control people's emotions and one is an empath and one is a telepath. They they can control people's minds at the same and the other one can control people's emotions. So they were doing that and the X-Men were losing, all the X-Men were losing, and young cable decides to uh we gotta like go back in time and try to uh talk to the the, the children that were controlled by Ahaba. And he, he like before they were influenced by him. So they end up going back in time. And Jean, I mean Jean Grey ends up talking to the two mutant kids and they were wondering how can you defeat they like asking how can we defeat the how can we defeat the villain and it was like telling them that what's gonna happen in the future and they talked and they was able to go back and go back in time and they was able to go back and uh this is this time travel gets real confusing because I hate this is why I hate time travel. <laughs> So yeah, they go back in time to the original timeline and wipe their memories. And this is I'm gonna try to remember what happened in this issue, but yeah. Um so yeah, they end up going back in time to the original timeline and they they end up getting their memories wiped. And um, yeah, the original X Men goes go to the original timeline, get their memories wiped, and uh, apparently everything is everything's reset. The kids are no longer influenced by Ahava, and yeah, they're not longer influenced by him, and. The, the X-Men were able to defeat Ahava, and I noticed that for some reason they were able to get the um they were able to get this the memories of because they um Jean Grey able to made that the memories of the young X-Men activate into the the older X or the older version of themselves in a later point of time. So it's like not like their memories were completely erased they were only i guess incubated into a certain time period where so apparently they get all the same memories so now the oldest angel has the same memories as the younger angel that was in this present time and same goes for every other character so yeah so now everybody has two sets of now all the Original X Men have two sets of memories. <clears throat> so yeah, this, and um, they also um, after the fight was over, um, Young Cable ends up going back to some other timeline 
and he tells Cyclops that it's time for him to come to the present timeline. He's like he's back alive apparently. Yeah, I think that's the whole point was his whole point was to try to get the X-Men to the original just for Cyclops to be alive, I think. They haven't explained why how Cyclops is alive, but I just know that he, he's teased by the end of the issue, and that's about it. And he also do a funeral for Mimi and uh and There was somebody else that died. Oh, Cable. That was it. Was Cable and Mimic? So yeah, they end up uh, having a funeral for them. And Cable, younger Cable, tells uh, Cyclops that he's ready for. It's time for him to go back. So he's already back alive. Um, I gave this issue a eight point eight point zero. It was I really I really enjoyed it and. Um, it was pretty awesome to see uh to see uh the X-Men uh be able to come with a cohesive plan to uh to um to try to defeat the the mutants and the the Ahaba and his his crew. And I did like the interaction where young Jean Grey with uh with uh two mutant kids that were influenced by Ahava. That was pretty interesting how they were able to talk to them and see how to defeat them. And it was pretty interesting to see that um, each um, um, virtual X-Men, before they left, they had each of their moments with their older selves talking about, I guess, that it's okay for to leave, that they had their time well spent. Because the thing is, the the younger original X Men thought that they came here for a specific reason to change, to make the world better, and they realize that they can't make the world better, and they feel that they their time here was wasted. But the other, the older X Men, the older versions of themselves made them realize that they didn't waste their time, that they they did have a purpose, and I thought that was pretty interesting how they all talked to each other. I did like that. And um yeah, it's and the art was very well done as well. I I also did like the art in this book. Okay. So what was your yeah. overall score for this issue? I gave it an eight point oh. I did say the score okay. earlier. Okay, sorry, I missed it. Um Okay, so uh on to Catwoman number six. Um which is a highly unusual pull for me. I was just kind of, I just felt like, you know, if I read both this and Batman, um, you know, when I rehashed my uh, recurring pulls last time that I would just be getting too much of the post, uh, post wedding nonsense. So um, I have not been following this. Uh, first thing is, you know, when I, when I hit that first page, I was like, wow, this art is really good. Um, so that kind of caught me off guard. Uh, then the other part is that it has to be, you know, a, a, amazingly well uh, choreographed um, because Catwoman is a very complex character in action and in combat. Um, and if you try and kind of get through that very lazily, then it will definitely show uh, that was not the case um, in this issue. So this is Laura Allred. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Joelle Jones on both 
uh, story and art. Um, kind of pulling the, uh, the 1980s John Byrne um, motif. Uh, Laura Allred on colors and Josh Reed on lettering. Um, like I said, uh, the first thing that struck me as soon as I hit the first page was that the artwork is uh, pretty beautiful. Um, so, uh, so the situation in this is that um, uh, Catwoman has been given an, an offer by uh, an underground um, or by by a by a mob boss uh, to work for her and combine forces. Um, Selena is not interested in taking the deal, um, but. Uh, you know, this person in an effort to um, to get Selena to join has kind of left a trail of bodies, and Selena has that on her conscience and really doesn't want to deal with it. So she's coming to this person's cocktail party to put a stop to them. Um, uh, along the way, uh, Catwoman gets accosted by uh, this one cop. Um, and then, so my issues with this. Uh, there's a, a couple pages of where the storytelling just gets a little wonky for me. Um, this whole thing culminates uh, with the cops uh, cornering uh, Selena and this lady that she's going after on a balcony. Um, Catwoman tips off the balcony b- backwards and, uh, and and affects her escape. Um, I'm sorry, not backwards. She actually leaps from the, uh, from the thing. Um, and makes good her escape. The cops, in the meantime, make an arrest. Now, there's a flash forward in this right after that uh, that shows the, as far as I could tell, he's the detective who made the arrest. Um, there's a quick kind of, you know, very short romantic interlude uh, between these two characters early in the book, so it, it looks like it's supposed to be him, but I'm like, I don't understand what this guy did to get captured and wind up in jail, because... Um, cause, he, he wouldn't have been blamed for what happened at the party. Uh, so it's a, there's a bit of a jump ahead with no kind of uh, connecting tissue in between. That just kind of made uh, that storytelling kind of sit. And unfortunately, it's a significant chunk of the book right in the last like six pages. And so um, that in particular tended to sit with me probably longer than, than maybe uh, the negative impact should be regarded. Um, but uh, it was just at a crucial point in the story. And I was like, at a point where the story had kind of wrapped up so well. Um, and then they do this flash away. And you're like, I have no idea why this detective is sitting in jail. Uh, so uh, so overall, uh, so I scored this book at 8.0 uh, out, of, out of 10, largely on the strength of its art. And then it wound up, like I said, losing some points for storytelling for me. Um, Steven, did you happen to read this issue by chance? Yeah, I did read this issue. Um, I thought it was okay. I I thought it was just uh, I would give it a seven point five. It w- it was a good issue. It's just I noticed it was just trying to close the chapter of the story, which it to me I wish it had more time with the characters, but it was like a it was done pretty quickly, and I didn't get enough time to get to actually know the characters throughout the six issues. We're right, and where uh, we're, again, where I knocked a few points off, a couple half points off for storytelling is, I also don't know where they're going from here. Um, you know, they, they have Catwoman living in this uh, something that's not Gotham, um, kind yeah. of like the same thing, like when a character says they're going to Burnside, so it's it's close to Gotham. 
um, but not exactly the same thing. So I don't know if it's their intention to leave her here and kind of have her do kind of a Batgirl thing, like where she did the year or two years at, in Burnside. It feels like that's where they're headed. Yeah, um, and I know she's had to take care of her sister by the end of the issue. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, there's uh, so yeah. So it's just uh, it just left off with me not being quite clear where they're headed. Uh, with this, uh, but overall, like I said, I, I, I enjoyed the issue and gave it an 8.0 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Stephen, go ahead and talk to us about Old Man Hawkeye to close us out on the review segment. All right, Old Man Hawkeye was is um is also the final issue of a mini uh a limited series. Um, it's is written by e, um Ethan Sachs. And the artist is uh is Mark Tuchet, um Mark Tuchetto. Well he he and also there was another artist, um Francisco Mobila. I know there's two artists in the book. No, and that's good because they because he was not on the preceding issue, and I'm like, I why like why like the- Well, because they have fill-ins. I don't think he was able to draw each issue apparently. No, I think I, I think he was I think he was off because he's been working on he's been prepping the run because he's going to Daredevil with uh Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. With um, um with Chip Zdarsky. Zdarsky, yeah. So I, I feel like he had some downtime to go attend to that. But I'm like you know, but you know, if if I were gonna read Old Man Hawkeye, which I didn't go on with Old Man Hawkeye, but the one thing I the one reason I did in one of the reasons why I did enjoy it was because of Chiquetto's art. Oh well this book had both arts, like half of it was was um Marcia Chetto and the other one the other half was like the other artist because he so he wasn't able to draw the whole thing. So yeah. And the and um so yeah, the the colorist is and- Andreas Mosa, and that's about it. Um, so yeah, this issue you you see uh Hawkeye fighting, you see both Hawkeyes fighting um Avalanche and Bullseye, and they end up defeating them. And the lab was about to blow up because Bullseye wants to uh, self destruct the lab that they were in, so. Oh, no, no, it was not Bullseye. It was um, Avalanche because he caused an earthquake. That's what it was. Yeah, he caused an earthquake to to for the building to collapse, and the building it does end up collapsing. And Hawkeye ends up um, the Kate Bishop ends up separating her, getting separated with by with Hawkeye, and they end up um, he ends up fighting um, Bullseye. Um, claim mean Clint Barton and so fighting Bullseye, and it's a pretty interesting way that he ends up defeating him because, uh, because uh, Kate Bishop has to guide him somehow because he's like completely blind and she's giving him directions, he's able to shoot those directions and be able to defeat Bullseye because they already defeated Avalanche in the beginning and. He was pretty easy to kill off, and then they end up fighting Bullseye. So um, after he fight, end up after he kills Bullseye. Um, apparently, the doctors. Um, I mean, Hawkeye decides to take the suitcase with him, like some soldier serum, 
that they were they was that the Hydra was using. So they end up he ends up taking it because he's he's gonna end up, I think he's gonna give it to someone that can actually use it for good use. But um after they defeat uh the bullseye and um and get the soldier serum um they also you also cut off to uh taskmaster talking to red skull saying that uh um baron zemo had failed his mission that he got killed off so um what is it uh red skull said these would be prepared to take um Hawkeye down eventually on his own. And um by the end of the issue, uh, there's also uh Kate Bishop decides to leave um Clint Barton because he wants to go after Red Skull and to finish the job and she doesn't agree with him because she's like this this revenge path is way too much for her. She can't handle it. So they end up going their separate ways, and um, since um, Hawkeye's gotten completely blind, he decides to go to some off some some place called the Forbidden Path, and he goes to uh, talk to Daredevil, and to there for some reason Daredevil has the name Stick. He I think he took the the mantle of Stick. And he's also yeah, so he's 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 gonna train Hawkeye, I guess, to fight being blind. And that's how the story ends. Um I really did enjoy this. I gave it an 8.0. It just seems kind of weird that this is a limited series. They haven't announced that there's gonna be another limited run or anything or ongoing. And for some reason the writer decides to uh Make a new plot line that leaves it um, hanging. I don't like when writers set up new plot lines for a series that's already over, and we're not even sure they're gonna have another limited run of continuing the story. Like, what's the point? <laughs> to me, I'd rather just open and close the chapter. Do not add another story into the closing chapter. So it just seems kind of weird that they end up that. Ethan Sachs decides to add another another um, chapter of the story that isn't going to be continued. I don't like seeing that. So that was my only, dis- my only gripe with the issue, but I enjoyed the fighting scenes. I enjoyed uh, Kate Bishop giving Clit directions of where to shoot. I thought it was an interesting idea to to take down Bullseye. It was really well done. I enjoyed it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's going to do it for our reviews segment, folks. Uh, again, the books that we are covering are in the show notes uh, for the agenda. Now we're going to move on to talk about the best thing that we read this week. For me, uh, it was Klaus and the Crying Snowman number one by Boom Comics. Um, now, I think Boom is also the publisher for um, another snowman comic that came out a few years ago. That was kind of a, a favorite of mine, Abigail and the Snowman, um, which I really liked because it was one of the first comics that I sat down and read uh, with my oldest daughter, and she really liked it. Um, 
So the crying snowman uh, is a little different. It is not something that I would read to a small child. Um, the crying snowman is kind of built around this mythology, and I'm going to try and talk about it as best as I can, because one of the things is that uh, this is a book by uh, Grant Morrison, um, and there's not a ton of exposition to get you into the story. You don't get a background on what the setup is. You don't get any understanding from any type of a narrator uh, on um, what the mythology is that um, that is being portrayed. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Dan Mora, lettered by Ed Dukeshire. So as near as I could tell, what the shtick is, is that there are several different variants of Santa Claus um, uh, from different mythologies um, in, in regions where people believe in them. So, um, and, and, and these are now Santa Claus who have in some cases uh, grown up and are older than maybe a different, a very, you know, a rendition that you may have seen of them. Um, most notably for instance, Jack Frost, who most, most of us uh, have seen in animated form uh, as a younger man is, uh, is grown up. Um, and then uh, there's a St. Nick and then there's a Klaus. This seems to be, uh, the one from Germany. Um, and then there's a discussion that really uh, the Asgardian gods were really another variant sect of, of this set of, um, of kind of winter gods. Uh, and then um, when the Asgardians participated in Ragnarok and attempted to hold the line of good versus evil um, and lost, uh, that you know they were written down in the history books as as guardians, not as um, as uh, whatever these guys are called. They're not really called anything as as not as the Santa Clauses. Um, and so the story opens with um, the, the the titular character Claus uh, fighting a tree monster, an animated tree who has somehow been brought to life. Um, the, but the other character in the story who's kind of um, always in the B camera is the snowman. And that's really what the story is kind of really about. Um, it's really the, the story of that character is um, kind of typical Christmas thing. He is a person who uh, was not a very good person. Um, I think uh, cheated on his wife, uh, wasn't the greatest parent to his kid. Um, and, uh, and on this night um, before he was reanimated as a snowman, um, he was actually in a car accident and wound up wrapping his car around a tree and died. So he is resurrected as the snowman with like a big wooden arm, uh, which can basically be weaponized. So he has this one big wooden arm and then this little skinny arm. You can kind of think of it like a, like a Hellboy. Um, uh, he's also melting <laughs> on the planet. And so Klaus, and so there's this little meeting um, in this opening sequence where um Klaus uh, fights a big tree monster. This thing is like six times the, si the size of a, of a, of a large human um, defeats it. And then has a mini council with some of his other Santa Clauses who, who turned out to, to help him with the fight. Um, there's a, there's a, um, uh, like I mean, there's a Jack Frost character. And then he is partnered with uh, like a kind of gnomish character uh, who rides a goat, a talking goat. So, um, and apparently the deal is at some point, some big bad uh, came through the, the night of the comets, which occurs once every 1500 years. And um, 
they, you know, the, the causes have defeated them one time and then the Asgardians lost to them last time. And now the, the comet, the evil that comes on the comets, um, uh, is coming around again. And there's all this discussion again, and there's these kind of urban myth pieces or mythology pieces that are thrown about that the clauses are apparently capable of, uh, in intergalactic travel and can go to Mars and Jupiter, um, and are familiar with like the geographies there. And there are apparently other races that live on there, um, who, who the Santa clauses also take presence to. Uh, and so, um, uh, Klaus grabs the snowman to take him with him to Jupiter because on Jupiter it is colder um, and the and the snowman won't melt. Um, but really, uh, at, at the end of the story, what it wraps back around to is um, the whole time this character is melting and they think that they are going to you know, now die their second death. Um, but because I guess he kind of uh, repents and feels badly about how he treated his wife and his kid uh, at the end, he is given a second opportunity because part of the winning strategy in the story is for them to turn the clock back one day. Uh, and so he has, he comes back to Earth. When they come back to Earth, it's actually a day before he died, and he has an opportunity to engage with this kid. Um, you're, you're watching the scene unfold of him melting, and you think that he's he's going to expire um, as his kid is running towards him. Uh, and he, he has time to hug him, Um one time, but then you think that he's going to melt away kind of like Frosty the Snowman does near the end of, of that animated. But uh, it turns out that uh, he's getting a second lease on life and it actually melts and he is standing there in his human form. Uh, so I thought it was pretty interesting. It's a very large comic. It's like 50 pages. Um, it is uh, well worth the read. I, I felt like um, I could have gigged it for, like I said, not um, giving me a little more exposition, you know, in a, in a regular ongoing um, that is the thing that kind of bends me out of shape and makes me cranky. Uh, but I found in this story, and and again, it's it's a father, right? It's a father son story, um, which I always find stories of parents appealing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so I actually thought it was pretty good. So, uh, talk to me about the life of Captain Marvel number five, Stephen, which you selected as your best thing that you read last. Yeah, it's um the is the final issue of the miniseries of the life of captain marvel um it's written by uh margaret stall and the artist is margaret savage savage and the colorist is fred fred bully so yeah and marco menzia there's two colorists actually but yeah um this issue is leaving off with uh, the there's a there's a woman that was um, sent to kill um, Captain Marvel's mother because you in the during the uh, series you find out that um, Captain Marvel's mother is also a Kree. She's also a soldier that came to Earth because. Um, mission for for from the Cree to to observe Earth and be able to um see what what Earthlings are like and I guess it was it's for um Earthling study like she was able to study humans and see if it's worth taking over and do experiments on and um 
uh, Captain Marvel's mother eventually uh, decides to cut herself off from the Kree because she didn't agree with that. She didn't like it. And she fell in love with um, Captain Marvel's um, Carol Danvers' um, f- father. And they end up having children. And that's where uh, Captain Marvel ends up being born she find she she finds out in these in this um mini series that she's she's half Cree and half human so um so yeah the the first the person that ends up working for the Cree um finds the mother and they're trying to fight her they both Carol and her mother is trying to fight her off and towards the 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 like in the middle to end of the issue, uh, Captain, um, her mother ends up sacrificing herself. Like, um, she tells Captain Marvel to leave, and she ends up killing the 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 enemy. Which yeah, it was Tanla, I think. Yeah, she ends up killing Ta- uh Tanla, and um. She, uh, Captain Marvel mother passes away, and uh, what is it? She she actually uh feels lost, and and she ends up saving her brother from the from all the debris that's caused that's in the battle because he was actually in the middle of the fight, but he was on the like on the sidelines. So he she took him, and they decided to talk to each other about what's been going on she had to like tell him the story of his mother so um so yeah there was um you see uh like it comes back to later on in the future uh um t- tony and and um cat and marvel are talking to each other and he tries to uh find a way to like make her feel better about herself about losing her mother at such a weird time because she just actually got to know who her mother is like all this time she thought her mother was a human and at the moments of her last time of her life she finds out she's actually a Cree and she doesn't feel comfortable about not getting to know her mother for the time being and Tony made her realize that she actually did know her mother she just didn't know that she was just um, not human, but she didn't know her. She was still being her real self. She just didn't reveal that she was a Cree. That was it. And she understood what Tony said and got over it. And she was able to, I guess, go off to her normal adventures and go back to being an adventurer, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, I gave this issue a 9.0 because uh, I really did enjoy the nice moments with Captain Marvel and her mother being able to grieve. I did like I did like I did enjoy the um, the interactions with um, Tony Stark and and Carol because it's I thought I I really never liked it, them breaking their friendship. When it came to Civil War too, I hated that because they had such a great relationship with each other and a great friendship. And I was glad to see their friendship come to peace once again. Like they are able to be friends 
again after this, after the whole civil war thing that happened. Now they're able to be friends again. And I I really did it was a very touching story. I I I was really happy. I was um overwhelmed by it and it was it was pretty emotional. It did make me feel sad as well. So I really liked it. It was very well done. And the art was good too. Okay, very cool. So for my stack this week, it was highly characterized by uh, what what to me seemed to be like a lot of really good books that were above average and, and um, you know, well near the norm of being great issues. Uh, and so as a result, I have a ton of stuff in my honorable mentions list because our honorable mentions list are those comics that we would have graded an 8.0 or above if we were using a, uh, a 10 point uh Review scale with half point increments. So, uh, Catwoman number six, I already talked through, uh, gave that an 8.0. Black Badge number five, uh, the story of um, secret covert Boy Scouts, I guess, basically, um, and their Hunger Games type trials uh, that are designed to seek out which of them has the potential to be the best intelligence operative. Uh, I gave that an 8.0. Uh, Batman number 61, I gave an 8.0. Outcast number 37, I gave an 8.5. Uh, as well as Darth Vader, number 25. Um, and then Justice League, number 14, I gave an 8.0. Spider-Geddon, number 5, I gave an 8.5. And Punisher, number 5, I gave an 8.5. As well, Stephen, what did you have in your list for honorable mentions? Um, honorable mentions was... I gave Star Wars, Darth Vader, number 25, a 7.0. I, I just... I, I just didn't get to talk to this about this issue and uh, I did want to talk about it. I just didn't enjoy it as much as the other issues and I don't know. I don't think I, for me, I thought Darth Vader was, Charles Soule writing Darth Vader was actually weaker than Karen Gillen's. I didn't enjoy the run as much as Karen Gillen's. So, and it was just restating what happened in in the, the Return to Sith, I noticed. Like him losing his family and becoming to fall into the dark side. So it wasn't really a new story for me for the last issue. Um, I gave Scooby Doo team up number 45 at 8.0, which is a crossover Scooby Doo and Mr. Miracle. I actually enjoyed it. Um, Champions annual number one, I gave it an 8.5. It was an interesting story to, le- to, ner- to, know, um, to learn about Snow Guard. And her family, I really did like getting to know about her culture. It was pretty interesting. Um, uh, I gave Avatar: The Last Airbender Imbalance Part One a eight point five. It had an interesting story about anti being benders being banned from from using their powers in some country. I thought that was interesting. It kind of relates to being anti gun. I noticed. Um, yeah, they had some anti-gun stories and anti-immigration, which kind of relates to what is what's going on in today's world. Um, I read teen, um, I gave Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number eighty-nine, 9.0. It was an interesting Christmas story with Splinter, like a Christmas Carol type of story with Splinter, finding out the things that he's done and what he can do to make things better. I really liked it. Um, Teen Titans number 25 was Crush's Origin. That was also enjoyable. I gave it an 8.0. Justice 14. 
with the Hulk's story. They go to Dengar um, in, and I gave it an 8.0. It was interesting to get to know about that. Part number five, I gave it an 8.0. They introduced some two assassin characters that worked for the porn industry, something like that. And the main character gets to meet them, and there's some interactions. And American Carnage number two, I gave it a 9.0. It's some cool, interesting story where it puts... It talks about um, how about a person who a cop that ends up killing a black man by accident, and he they think that he, they killed it. He killed the man out of racism when he only killed him by actual accident. And his lawyers are just trying to put him as a white racist man, and he really isn't. And he's getting into some trouble with his lawyer, and that does interesting um, politic front on being racist of white people. I thought it was interesting. That's that's pretty much it. Very cool. So why don't you hold on to the floor and um, go ahead and talk us through your polls for next week. Yeah. I also, and, 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 and explain to me what these are, because I, I think these are a yeah, lot of these are back it, issues that you missed. No, I put the next week, the week after. <laughs> I put this week and next week's um, on the pull list. I, w- I should have explained that to you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, from this week, I'm picking up Fantastic Four number five, um, Superior Spider-Man number one, and X-Force number one. And then this the next week, the one that's coming out after New Year's, I'm picking up Detective Comics 995, The Flash number 61, The Walking Dead, 187, Ashen Comics 1006, Times number 32, Batgirl number 30, Batman Beyond number 27, The Terrifics number 11, Just League Odyssey number 4, Bunnaways number 17, Mr. and Mrs. X number 7, Raven, Daughter of the Darkness number 11, The Sinister number 12, Man Without Fear number 1, Wind Soldier number 2, Champions number 1, Injustice versus Masters of the Universe number 6, and Roaring Long Light number one. Wow, so that's a long list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, my, my pull list only has what's uh, shipping this week, uh, so today, the 26th of December, um, and I'll be reading uh, Fantastic Four number five, Superior Spider-Man number one, Uncanny X-Men number seven, X-Force number one. Uh, and then I'm going to take the time to try and knock out these two trades that I've had mm-hmm. since August. Um, one of them is a larger format, and those are always kind of tough to get through, particularly when they're very wordy, uh, as this one is. And that is the New Defenders, the Epic Collection. Um, so I'll be trying to get through and finish that with my additional time that I have from not needing to read single issues. And then hopefully I will also be able to pile from that right into the Transformers uh, trade book volume number three, uh, The Lost Light by IDW. So, Stephen, anything else that you wanted to mention or go over before we get out of here? No, I think I'm good. Okay, well, thanks so much, everybody, for joining in. If you happen to either join by the live stream or if you are watching the archive version of this, we appreciate you either way. Please feel free to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, happy hunting and stay safe out there. Once again, my name has been Agaskly Statements from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube. On behalf of myself, the E2KG and Mr. Stephen Laura, that's going to do it for us for tonight. We are 
out of here.